morning. Uh, Today's reading is from Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here I am now. I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay it back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. As we've looked at this three-year ministry of Jesus, maybe you have noticed the popularity with the people was like a roller coaster. Sometimes he's up here, very popular with the people. Other times he's down here, not so popular with the people. And usually it depended on the miracles that he was doing. If he was performing a lot of miracles, then the people were high on him. They were following him. They were wanting to see more miracles. Just one more miracle. Their appetite was never satisfied. One more miracle. Such was the case in John chapter 6. If you uh, would turn back to that chapter, you would see that Jesus performed a a fantastic miracle there. He had multiplied the small boy's lunch of of, uh, loaves and fishes, and he had fed over 5,000 people. And the mentality of the people seemed to be this. Hey, he gave us lunch yesterday. Let's go back. Maybe he'll give us lunch again today. And yet, On that second day, Jesus preached to them a very hard sermon. He called them to discipleship. He wanted them to give up everything and follow him. He he called them to wave the white flag that we just sang about. And they were unwilling to do that. If you remember that passage, the crowd left Jesus. They turned away from him. They wanted food. They wanted miracles. But they did not want commitment. And so they left him. His popularity went from here to here. That was the ebb and flow of the crowd throughout the ministry of Jesus. And here in Luke 19, where we're at today, the crowd is back up here. They are pumped up about Jesus for several reasons. And those reasons all have to do with different miracles that Jesus has recently performed. A few weeks earlier to this point... He had, healed, he had raised Lazarus from the dead. You remember that? John chapter 11. Lazarus had been in the grave for four days. And Jesus raised him up to live again. No one had ever seen that kind of miracle before. Now, they'd seen resurrections before. But not somebody who had been in the, de- in the grave for four days. And so this was one of Jesus' greatest miracles. The crowd just was was excited, they wanted to see Lazarus, they wanted to see this miracle worker, hoping that he would do one more miracle. 
And during this time frame, there had been another very significant miracle that Jesus had performed. And this added to the excitement of the crowd. He had healed the ten men from their leprosy. That story is seen in Luke chapter 17. These miracles were very hot news items, you might say. They would have been front page stories of the Jerusalem times. And I'm sure that, that the news spread like wildfire across the countryside of what Jesus was doing. And here in this text, Luke chapter 19, you need to understand that as he has entered into Jericho, there has been something very big happen again on the outskirts of the town. He has healed a man named Bartimaeus, a blind man. You can read about that miracle in the end of chapter 18 of Luke. If you actually look over into Matthew's gospel, Matthew will tell you that there was not just one blind man healed, but there were two blind men that were healed. Probably Bartimaeus was the more prominent of the two, and so Luke focuses on just him. And so we are talking about some major miracles that have happened, that have got the crowd all excited. A man has been raised from the dead. Ten men have been healed of their leprosy. Two men have been healed of their blindness. Their sight has been given back to them. And the crowd is wondering, what's going to happen next? Well, I can tell you for sure it was not what the crowd expected. And then, you know, Jesus usually did not do what the crowd expected. I want you to picture this in your mind. A crowd is walking with with Jesus, and people are lining the streets, and everyone is trying to get a glimpse of this wonderful miracle worker. And uh, besides that, he has also had these numerous run-ins with the, the, the religious teachers of the day, and that has sent a buzz through the crowd as well. And so it is a very exciting day in Jericho just to have Jesus pass through their town. There is one man in particular who is trying to see Jesus, and Luke focuses on him. He tells us that story. It's Zacchaeus, of course. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, the scripture says. Or maybe that's the song that we sing. The scripture says, actually, that he was small in stature. He was short. He couldn't get his head up above the crowd to see Jesus. And he wasn't big enough to push his way through the crowd. And if he didn't come up with a plan quickly, he was not going to see Jesus. But, G- but Zacchaeus was a very intuitive kind of guy. He looked down the road and he sees the, this, this pathway that Jesus is taking and he sees this huge sycamore tree and branches are spreading out everywhere and that's his plan. That's going to be his best chance to see Jesus. So he runs ahead and he climbed up in that sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. For a moment, I want you to think about Zacchaeus' desire to see Jesus. That's the first point of my sermon. Zacchaeus had a great desire to see Jesus. I was trying to think if there had ever been a time in my life when I had had the opportunity to see or meet someone famous. And there was one time. 
Our family was vacationing in Colorado Springs a number of years ago. It was a Saturday morning, and we had decided that we would go and visit the campus of Focus on the Family. And we went there, and being a Saturday morning, it just seemed like things were dead. You know, we had heard on the radio, we had, had uh, read up on Focus on the Family and followed that ministry quite closely. And through the week, they offered tours of their facility. But being a Saturday morning, nothing was happening except the bookstore was open. And so that's where we landed as a family. We went into the bookstore and we were browsing around just looking and I noticed a doorway down the hall, uh, the door opened, and out came this man who was rather tall. I think he's about six foot four, and uh, sure enough, it was Dr. James Dobson. And Cindy and I had been talking with one another before we went. I wonder if we'll see Dr. Dobson. And sure enough, there he was. And we both saw him at the same time, and, and we went running towards him, and I beat her. <laughs> I, got, I got there first, and I stuck out my hand to Dr. Dobson. And then, what do you say at that point? <laughs> I think I said something stupid like, uh, I'm Kevin from Kansas. <laughs> well, so what? Who are you? I stuck my hand, I shook his hand, and then here comes my wife. And you know, Cindy, she can talk to anybody. She can talk to the wall, and the wall will talk back to her. And before long, she's carrying on a conversation with Dr. Dobson. She's introducing our kids to him, and and she's giving him a hug. And and we're getting pictures like we've been at a family reunion. It was was a a memorable situation. I'm sure he thought we were goofy, but he was gracious to us. I don't know, maybe you've had that kind of a moment when you desired to see someone special and and to do so you were trying to get in the right spot at the right time so that you could be near that person and meet them. That's what was going on with Zacchaeus. He desired to see Jesus and when, when it became evident that he was not going to be able to see him over the crowd, he went and he climbed up into a sycamore tree. I want to ask you, do you have a strong desire to see Jesus? Just let that sink into your mind, that question. Do you have a strong desire to see Jesus? Do you want to meet Him, to be in relationship with Him, to know Him? I will tell you there is no one better to know than Jesus. He is the Son of God. He is the one who has been here from the very beginning. In fact, before that, because there is no beginning for Him. He was here before time began. He is the Eternal One. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the Scripture says. The beginning and the end. He is our Creator and He is our Savior. He is the Bread of Life. He is the living water. If you get a drink of Him, you will never thirst again. He is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way to get to the Father except through Him. I could go on and on this morning talking about who Jesus is. Do you know Him? He is the door. He is the vine. There is no life apart from Him. He is the light of the world. In Him, the Scripture says, there is no darkness whatsoever. 
He is the one who at the end of time will come on the clouds, the victorious one. And the clouds will part and he will have with him the host of heaven. And the scripture says on his thigh will be written the words, King of kings and Lord of lords. There will be a sword that will be coming out of his mouth and it will be a day of judgment at that point. And those who have known him will be rejoicing and those who have not known him will be crying out and weeping and running to hide from Him. I just want to encourage you to know Him, to love Him, to seek Him out, to chase after Him. He wants to have a relationship with you. Unlike some celebrities, when their fans seek them out, they don't have time for them. They don't want to be bothered by them. That's not Jesus Jesus' arms are open to us, and He wants to get to know us. He wants us to be able to get to know Him. He loves us, and He invites us to come to Him. I hope that you will have a desire to get to know Jesus, as Zacchaeus did. Let me give to you a second point from this text. Jesus took the time to be with Zacchaeus. And as the Savior passed that way, He looked up in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down for I'm going to your house today. That's the song that many of us, if we've grown up in the church, we've sang that song throughout our life. Jesus was willing to stop what he was doing and he had the time to go to the home of Zacchaeus. Someone here might be asking this question, well, what was Jesus doing? Well, if if you remember, a few weeks ago, we talked about that. I'll, I'll remind you that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. The time of his last week, the time of passion is not far away. I'm ta- we're talking just days away. Jesus is now at Jericho. Jericho's just a few miles from Jerusalem. Jesus' mind and his eyes and his focus for quite some time, have been on getting to Jerusalem so that he can pay the price for our sins. And so that's what's on his mind. And he's passing through, if you see in verse 1 of Luke chapter 19, he's passing through Jericho. And I don't know that he had on his agenda to go to Zacchaeus' house that day. I don't think he probably did. But as he's walking underneath that sycamore tree, he looks up and he sees Zacchaeus there. And he senses a man whose heart and whose, whose mind is open to him. He senses a man who is seeking him. And so Jesus stops And he says, Zacchaeus, you come down from that tree. I must go to your house today. You see, people matter to Jesus. In fact, people matter most to Jesus. All kinds of people matter to Jesus. Even despicable people like Zacchaeus. If Jericho had a list of its ten most hated people, people, Zacchaeus would have been on that list and at the bottom of the list. He's that kind of a guy. He was the most hated of all. He was a tax collector. Worse than that, he was a chief 
tax collector says verse 2. And he was rich. And the reason that he was rich was he was getting deep into the pockets of the people in Jericho. He was dishonest and he was a thief. I have a footnote in one of my Bibles in the office that I I study from. And uh, in that footnote, this is what it says about Zacchaeus. As a tax collector for the Romans, he had a bad reputation since the system was open to abuse and extortion was common. The word chief implies that Zacchaeus was responsible for all the taxes of Jericho and had other collectors underneath him. So what we're saying is Zacchaeus would have been doubly hated. He was the supervisor over all of those tax collectors who were cheating the people of Jericho. Let's say, for instance, you are a resident of Jericho. And you owe the Roman government 10 denarii for your taxes for the year, okay? Let me remind you, a denarius, which is singular, denarii is plural, a denarius was one day's wage, an entire day's wage. And so if you owed the government 10 denarii, you owe them 10 days' wages. That's your taxes for the year. And let's just, for the the easy sake of mathematics... Let's say, and we'll change this to dollar bills, let's say you work a job, you get paid $100 a day. And you owe the government 10 days wages, $100 times 10, $1,000, that's what you owe the government for your taxes for the year. And so the tax collector would come and he would knock on your door to collect that $1,000 from you. But instead of collecting $1,000, he would try to collect more from you because anything he can get over $1,000, he's going to pocket it for himself. And so he may charge you, rather than 10 days wages, he may charge you 15 days wages. Maybe if he can get away with it, he'll charge you 20 days wages. Now you're beginning to get an idea as to why these tax collectors were so hated. They were dishonest. They were thieves. They were getting in your pocket unjustly. And Zacchaeus was one rich fellow. And he's becoming rich at your expense because he's got all of these tax collectors underneath him and he's training them, he's pushing them, he's trying to prompt them to get as much from you as they can because he's going to get a cut from what they get. He's rich, he doesn't have many friends, the only friends that he has are those tax collectors who are as dishonest and as, as, as rotten as what he is. And yet, this is the kind of fellow Jesus took the time for. Jesus took the time for this despicable man. Did you notice from the text what Jesus said to him? Come down from the tree immediately. I must stay at your house today. Jesus felt compelled to stay at Zacchaeus' house. Well, Zacchaeus was was delighted. I'm sure he was not accustomed to people coming to his house and spending time with him. He's shocked. He was not expecting this at all. But he comes down from the tree. 
He takes Jesus to his house, and we're going to see that something very good happened from all of this. Now, before I move to the next point, let me remind you of how the crowd responded to Jesus in his decision to hang out with Zacchaeus. Verse 7 says they grumbled about this. Kevin read from the, the New International Version earlier, and I think that particular version said they murmured. And what was it they said? He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Well, don't you imagine that the Pharisees and the religious leaders of that day were stirring the crowd up? Yeah, the crowd was murmuring, the crowd was grumbling, but they were led to do so by the religious leaders of that day. They're throwing, the, these religious leaders, they're throwing a grumbling party. The very ones who should have been rejoicing were grumbling. The ones who should have been calling for a prayer meeting when they saw Jesus connect with the worst sinner in town, the, 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 the bottom of the list, the, that top ten sinners, top ten most hated people, when Jesus connected with him and says, let's go home together, that's when there should have been a prayer meeting. They, they should have been rounding up all of the believers and let's, let's pray that Jesus can have an influence on this guy in our town. But they weren't praying, they're grumbling. Why would Jesus spend time with Zacchaeus, a sinner? I have a couple of points of application here. And the first point would be this. The church doors should be open to all people. Amen? Even the despicable. But who has the authority to define who's despicable and who isn't? (laughs) I mean, really, the truth is we're all despicable, aren't we? Because of our sin. I can't point here or point over there and say that person's more despicable than me. No, we're all in the same boat. We're all sinners. We're all ones who have fallen short of God's glory. We don't deserve Jesus extending his love to us and his grace to us. And so it's very important that we understand that point. To even judge someone as despicable more than us. We're putting ourselves into the same shoes as what the Pharisees were in. Hypocritical, judgmental, and deserving of God's judgment. And let me say this too. When people walk into these church doors who are different than what we are, we need to... We need to open our arms to them. We need to welcome them. We need to love them. And let's not just be waiting for people to walk into our church doors. Let's be going out after them. Let's be talking to them. Let's be inviting them to come to church and to come to Jesus. When is the last time that you invited somebody to church? I'm not looking for you to raise your hand and give me an answer. But I'm asking you, when is the last time that you personally invited somebody to church? We should be inviting people to church 
every week as we cross paths with people, be looking for an opportunity to invite them to church. Let's be inviting people to Jesus. And when they do come in these doors, let's welcome them. Let's love them. And may these people leave our church on a Sunday morning going, wow, those people are so friendly. Those people really do know how to love. Well, here's the second point of application, and that is we need to stop grumbling and start loving people. Too many so-called religious people are better at grumbling than what they are at loving people into the kingdom. And that is what's despicable. You want to know what's despicable? It's when Christian people stop loving people and rather they start grumbling. That's despicable in God's eyes. Maybe you heard about the little boy who was waiting for his mother to come out of the grocery store. As he waited, he was approached by a man who asked him, Son, can you tell me where the post office is? The little boy replied, Sure, just just go straight down this street, a couple of blocks, and and turn to the right, and you'll see the post office right there. The man thanked the boy kindly, and he said, I'm the new pastor in town. I'd like to invite you to come to church on Sunday. If you will come, I will show you how to get to heaven. And the little boy looked at him and laughed, and he said, you're, you're kidding me. You don't even know the way to the post office. You know, we have too many people who are claiming to know the way to heaven, but they're not living that way. They're grumbling instead of loving. Let me give to you a third point from this text. Zacchaeus repented of his sins. It was more than words. He had action behind his repentance. Verse 8 says this, Behold, this is Zacchaeus speaking, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. Wow. That's some serious changing. This was going to be the new Zacchaeus. Again, I want you to put yourself into the shoes of these Jericho residents. You're in your home. Somebody knocks on the door. And you go and you look out the window and you go, Oh no, Zacchaeus, he's here again. He's here to collect taxes. I didn't know it was so that time of the year. And oh, you open the door and, and you're expecting him to get in your pocket. And instead, he comes forth with an apology for his past failures, his, his deceit in the past. He's robbed you. He's taken more from you than what you really owed. And he's apologizing to you. Well, that gets your attention. And he's got a tablet. He says, look right here. This is what you actually owed last year. And this is what I collected from you. This is the difference. And I, I want to pay you back four times what I took from you that you didn't owe. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Do you think that would get around town in a hurry? And, and he's doing the same thing to your neighbor and the one down the street. 
He's making men's. He's, he's giving retribution four times from what he had taken. And, the, and don't you know that's going to be being talked about at the coffee shop the next morning? Zacchaeus showed up at my house, and you wouldn't believe what he did. He did the same thing at my house, somebody else says. And then over the next week or two, you begin to look at the new Zacchaeus, and you see him helping the poor widow down the street, and and the orphaned daughter, and and you see him helping, stopping at the beggar, and and giving him lunch. And you, the word comes around to you that the family that's, whose house burned last week, Zacchaeus gave them the money to rebuild their whole house. Wow. It really is the new Zacchaeus. The old man is gone. He's a new man. We like this guy. We like Zacchaeus now. Brothers and sisters, we should be different when we meet Jesus. Just like Zacchaeus became a different person, we should become a different person when we meet Jesus. Repentance is a change of heart. It's a change of mind. It is a change of action. It is a prayer of confession and asking Him to forgive us, followed up by a change in the way we live. If we're one like Zacchaeus who have had a problem with dishonesty and we've stolen from people, then true repentance is going to lead us to becoming a person of honesty, a person who speaks the truth, not just in our words, but when we do a business transaction, it's our word is good as gold. We can be counted on. The person who has a problem of, of saying God's name in vain and it's like God's last name is damn, following his name. The one who speaks like that, true repentance is going to, I, I want to I clean up my speech. I want to talk differently. I want to start saying words of praise towards the Lord. That needs to become the norm of my life. We're talking about change. We're talking about repentance. That's what happened with Zacchaeus. It should be what's happening with you and me. When we came to Christ, were people able to see a change in us, in our attitude, our words, our actions, what we're interested in? Are people able to see a change within us? Are those in in the home that we live with, are they able to see a change in us? And it It's not just a change that happens at conversion, but I'm talking to you who have been Christians for 15, 20, 30 years. We should still be changing too. That's repentance. Our commitment to Jesus should be evident. What is it that people who know you would say that you are committed to? You know, if, they, if your neighbor or your, your family member, your kids, if they were to write a list of what you are committed to more than anything else, what would be on that list? What would be at the top of the list? 
Could it be said of you that you are most committed to Jesus? That you are most committed to His righteousness? What would be at the top of the list for you? Would it be sports, recreation? Would it be your weekend getaway place? There could be a hundred different things that would be at the top of that list. But there's only one thing that should be at the top of that list, and that is Jesus Christ, that we would seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33. Paul said in Philippians chapter 3 that he had one thing that was front and center for him. And that one thing was to know Jesus. I hope and pray that we will understand the importance of knowing Him and having Him first in our life. I crossed paths with a fellow here just recently, actually out at Walmart, and... uh, I was, I was talking with him, and this is a fellow who's a member of the church. I have not seen him here for ages. And I just said, hey, haven't seen you in church quite a long while. I'm missing you. And, and immediately he said, oh, yeah, we're, we're going to come back. We've, we've even talked about it. We're, we're going to get back to church. And I just said, when, when are you going to get back? And, and he said, we'll get back there soon. And, and I wonder, do we sometimes think that we set the terms for how we are to live or our faith, or do we understand that he is the one who sets the terms, not us? It's his way, not our way. We do not set the terms. He sets the terms. And I understand Christianity is a whole lot more than, than just church on Sunday. It's living for Him every day of the week. But it's very hard to be living for the head if we're not connected to the body. Does that make sense to you? Who's the head of the church? Jesus is. The church is the body. The body of Christ It's very hard to be connected to the head if we are not connected to the body. And I don't know about for you, but for me, any organism that I've ever looked at, if you disconnect the body from the head, then you do not have life, you have death. True repentance is doing things God's way. Not our way. Zacchaeus repented and it was obvious for everyone to see. It was no longer his way. It was now God's way. And he's knocking on the door and he's given recompense to people four times as much as what he's collected from them. He's changed. I have one more point for you. This is point number four. Jesus stated his mission. There in chapter 19, verse 10, Kevin read it earlier, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He was very clear about his mission. If that was his mission, then shouldn't that be our mission too? If Jesus was all about saving the lost and reaching the lost, 
then that should be our mission individually and as a church as well. We are to be about lost people. We're to be trying to win them to Jesus because if they don't find Jesus, they're going to go to hell. It's just that plain and simple. It's that straightforward. If they don't find Jesus, they're going to hell. This point in and of itself is an entire sermon. In fact, several sermons. That's why this fall, in the month of October, we're going to take several weeks and we're going to look at the mission of the church. When we are finished with this Life of Christ series, we're going to look at the mission of the church and we're going to see that the mission of the church should reflect the mission of Jesus. It's so easy for us to lose sight of our mission. And you know who's jumping up and down and throwing a party when the church loses sight of its mission? Satan is. Satan is just having a heyday if the church is off track of its mission. We've got to get on track. We've got to understand the reason for which we are here is the same reason for which Jesus was here, to seek and to save that which was lost. I was glad Dusty had us pray a little bit earlier for CIY. One thing, as we pray this week at the, at the, at the dinner table, when you're having your personal devotional time and you're praying to God, even as you're driving this week, if you can pray and drive at the same time, would you pray for our kids at CIY and particularly... There's some kids in that group that have never given their life to Jesus. Would you pray for them? Let's, let's begin to develop this mindset more and more on a personal level. I am here to seek and to save the lost. I am to be concerned about people who don't know Jesus. And it can begin this week as you pray for the kids at CIY. Lord, move in their lives. Move in all of their lives. Those that are already Christians, move them closer to you. Bring a revival to their hearts and to their lives. Those that are not Christians, O oh Lord, would you just stir their hearts? Would you bring them to salvation? Pray for them this week. And it would be, be a wonderful thing for our entire church when those kids get back to hear stories of how God moved mightily in their lives. Let's pray together. Would you, would you take a moment? Would you pray for the kids at CIY, particularly those that are lost? And would you think in your mind right now of two people that you know of that are outside of Jesus, and would you pray for them by name? Would you pray for yourself and for this church to be more soul conscious? Lord, thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you that you are so concerned 
for lost people. That your arms are open. Thank you that you love us that much. For we are all despicable. And yet you love us. You gave your son to die for despicable people. In Jesus' name, amen.